What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Joined this week by a new guest, first time on the Turn on the Jets podcast. I believe he's been on the Play Like a Jet podcast. Joe Blewett, who is the host of Jet Nation Radio and a contribute contributor, correct me if I'm here, Grandstand. Am I saying it right? Is the right site? Grandstand? Yeah, Grandstand Sports Network. And I pronounced the last name right on the first time? Yes, yes, you did. Excellent. People generally pronounce my uh, last name wrong the first couple of times they talk to me. So I try to get it right the first time. I'm happy I did that. Uh, we're talking with Joe because I'm a huge fan of the film work he does uh, on Twitter. Uh, really does a nice job diving deep into the game, and it's done a really uh, in-depth look at the team's 2017 season. So what we want to talk about today is some things that both of us saw on film uh, throughout the season, maybe some things that went under the radar, some players who are underrated and overrated by Jets fans after you know watching through uh, each of the games uh, a couple more times. Also want to talk about the recent film work you did on Quincy Nua, who of course is a favorite here at Turn on the Jets and hopefully a favorite of all smart Jet fans. Uh, obviously the Jets also just decided to fire John Morton, uh, so we're going to talk about that right off the top. Before we get into that, want to remind you guys this podcast is brought to you by Prime Sport, official sponsor and team partner of the New York Jets. Make sure to check out primesport.com slash turn on the Jets for different Super Bowl packages. If you do happen to be going out there, if you're a fan of one of the four remaining teams, uh, they do have packages set up for Minnesota. Uh, that will We will also have packages like we did last season on the Big East Tournament and March Madness. So make sure to check out primesport.com slash turn on the Jets. Give them a follow on Twitter and on Facebook at primesport. This podcast is also brought to you by Razor Sport. That's R-A-Z-E-R-S-P-O-R-T.com. They are the best in the business with their betting predictions for each passing week here with the NFL playoffs. Make sure to sign up for their members section at Razorsport.com. Give them a follow on Twitter at Razor Sport Club. Whether you're looking to bet on the NFL, college basketball, NBA, whatever it is, check out their website, follow them on Twitter, get your betting tips, bet smart heading into this new year uh, now that we're in 2018. And as always, make sure to show love to our partners who show love to us. So Prime Sport, Razor Sport, make sure to check them out. All right, Joe, pretty surprising uh, that the Jets decided to fire John Morton a couple weeks ago. This was rumored, but once the Raiders ended up going in a different direction, uh, it seemed like things would blow over and they would go forward with Morton. But now Morton fired. The early favorites are being rumored to be Jeremy Bates and the recently fired Todd Haley of the Pittsburgh Steelers. What are your reactions and what did you think of the job that Morton did in his first year as a team's offensive coordinator? I was actually higher on John Morton than a lot of people were because coming into the year, I really thought that the Jets offense was going to be in the bottom three to bottom five in the league for obvious reasons with the lack of talent that they had and Josh McCown leading the offense. And they finished, I believe, at 24th, and that's with Bryce Petty playing three games. So I thought he did a really good job. Um, we saw a lot of diversity in some of the things he did. Or you saw, you saw him uh, run a lot of different concepts, you know, pole and hawk and levels and crease and sail and all these different things um, that I really like to, you know, get into on film, which, you know, I'm not going to get into now. But he did a lot of different things, a lot of different diversity. He did a lot of clear-out routes, a lot of rub routes. He still applied the offense when Bryce Petty came in to try to help him as much as he possibly could, even though Bryce Petty is, you know, kind of past the point where he could be helped at this point where he's just a really bad quarterback where 
before the season, we were kind of hoping, you know, could he be a backup? And, you know, now we're kind of questioning if he can even be a third string quarterback in the league, but yeah, to finish 24th with this type of offense, with an offense where you can't run the ball because the offensive line was so bad, especially in terms of the run game or the offensive line in terms of the pass blocking was okay. Um, so I've heard, I've heard some rumors that, you know, the Jets, uh, some of the Jets players had issues with them that he didn't run the ball and they had issues with his personality. But overall, I was I was pretty impressed with him. 24th offense, like I said, with the lack of talent they had, I, I thought it was pretty solid, even though you know, 24th is not something that you're going to get overly excited about. But you had a quarterback, you had you know, a couple more pieces on the offensive line, you know, maybe a true X wide receiver, that those type of things. Then I think this offense could be, you know, an above average offense. So I liked Morton, especially you're looking at a guy who's, you know, it was his first year as an offensive coordinator and he wasn't working with the best um, talent around him. Yeah, I think he was okay. I think at some points of the season, some Jet fans probably got a little too high on him, but I think considering what he had to work with, I thought the Jets were more efficient offensively uh, than I expected on a week-to-week basis, particularly when they played teams like Kansas City and Carolina. Uh, and for stretches early in the season when they got up big on Miami and when they were up on New England, obviously they faded a little bit down the stretch. But they had some complete no-shows in games like Tampa Bay and Denver, which Morton is a part of. So I am a little surprised by it. I think he was probably did enough to merit a second year, but at the same time, I don't think it's a, a devastating or demoralizing loss. It's just a lack of continuity again. So, I mean, you know, the Jets draft these young quarterbacks. They talk up the system they're going to grow in, and I don't think Chan Gailey or John Morton or anybody could have saved Bryce Petty or Christian Hackenberg. But the Jets, since firing Brian Scheinheimer at the end of 2011, this will now be their fifth offensive coordinator since then. So they're just ripping through them, uh, which is never an ideal situation. Uh, with Bates, it uh, sounds like Jet fans are pretty excited about him. He... I think has an interesting and mixed track record. There is not a lot of proof that he can be a successful offensive coordinator in the NFL. There seems to be a line of thinking around the league that he is a better guy to work with quarterbacks and could be an upgrade over Morton. I think he could be. I don't know if there's any tangible proof of that. Um, Todd Haley is obviously a bigger name. He's a guy who also has uh, an interesting history and is coming off a what would seem to be a pretty ugly divorce with the Pittsburgh Steelers with their loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars and some of the headbutting he had with Ben Roethlisberger. It feels to me that if the Jets were going with Bates, it would seem more likely they're going to draft a quarterback. And if they were going with Haley, they might be more likely to go the free agent route. I don't know if Haley is really known as a guy who's going to develop a young quarterback from scratch. I mean, which of those two names excite you more? Because it seems like those are the two front runners right now. If I had to choose one of them, because Bates hasn't really done anything in the NFL, uh, obviously a quarterback's coach for the Jets this year, don't really know what he could be as an offensive coordinator. I would go with Haley because he has developed some talent where you see the, the Steelers, especially their wide receivers, Marcavius Bryan or Antonio Brown, or just the guys that they recycle um, in and out of their the talent that they have. I, he's obviously a big part in developing a lot of that talent. So I think Haley is more proven, and especially even this week, you know, they lost to the Jaguars in the divisional game, but they scored, what, 40 points in the Jaguars? That's the number one, number two, number three defense in the NFL, depending on where you personally rank them. I don't know where they're actually ranked in, you know, NFL standings or NFL.com or whatever. But to, to put up 40 points on a defense like that, you know, he's obviously pretty proven. Um, so if I had to choose one of those, I would, I would go with Haley. 
Yeah, I think Haley is a guy with a proven track record, and I think it seems like some fans would be more excited about that move. But he does, he does, again, he has a proven track record more so than Bates, who's had a couple interesting flashes, but doesn't have a ton of experience as an offensive coordinator in the NFL if we're being candid. So it's going to be interesting to see which direction they end up going. Uh, but a pretty surprising move at this point, and I, I'm curious where the pressure for this came from. Was this a Todd Bowles decision? Was this a Mike McCagnan decision? Are the Jets planning to draft a quarterback and they're not confident with the current infrastructure to develop that young quarterback? It's going to be interesting to see how the hiring plays out. I think the timing of it, the same day that Todd Haley got fired, uh, is interesting. So something changed, whether it was – Haley becoming available, they decided they needed to pounce on him. Whether they finally convinced Bates into taking the job because some of the initial rumors were that they had offered it to him or floated it to him a couple weeks ago and he wasn't interested in taking it. So some dynamic change to expedite this process today. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Obviously, how successful the Jets are going to be on offense next year is also going to be largely built around who their quarterback ends up being. Before We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit before we wrap, but... Tell me this, from, from the film you watched this year, who do you think were a couple of overrated or underappreciated on the opposite side of it, Jets this year on both sides of the football? Who's somebody who you don't think is getting quite enough love that is doing more things uh, that show up on tape that maybe don't necessarily show up in the stat sheet, and somebody who's getting a little too much hype and actually is hurting the team a little more than people thought? I could definitely give you a, a few from each, but you want me to just limit to just one? Um, yeah, as many as you could think of. There's a couple guys that pop into your head as overrated or underrated. I'm curious if there's a couple things that you saw in guys that yeah. are you know, sort of floating under the radar or getting talked up a little too much. Yeah, for un- as, as far as underrated, I definitely think that Steve McClendon is a guy who is severely underrated. I think I'm probably his biggest fan um, in the entire Jets fan base. Now, do I think he's a you know, a true zero tech or one tech guy who's in demand double teams. No, not necessarily. But when you put him as a two or a three, he's very, very effective as a, as a penetrator um, and a guy who could really, you know, eat up some blocks and, you know, rip uh, through some guys to get, ta- uh, to get tackles. So I think McClendon is a guy who almost every single game, other than a few games, he really, really popped out to me. I, th- I also think that a guy in Mike Pennell, um, who was, not getting too many snaps in the beginning of the season, but towards the end of the season when he was playing a lot, he was a really, really good guy too, where he was reestablishing the line of scrimmage a lot, uh, was just bullying some 300-plus pound offensive you know, guards or um, centers, and he was super impressive. So he's a, he's a guy, or both of those guys are guys who I think are going to get more playing time next year if they are here to kind of replace what the Jets are going to be um, losing with Wilkerson, which obviously isn't much because he was just a complete bum this year. But those two guys were actually much, much more impressive than I think a lot of guys notice on film because you know, when you watch the broadcast on you know, CBS or Fox, you're noticing the running backs, the wide receivers, and the quarterback. But So I think that those guys are largely underrated and overrated. I'm definitely going to go with uh, Morris Claiborne's one of them. Even in the beginning of the year where people were saying, you know, pro ball type of season or, you know, lockdown number one, there was a couple of games where, like the Jaguars um, comes to mind where he got burned up the up the right sideline, but Blake Bortles was so bad that you didn't even see him. So uh, I forget which wide receiver it was. Maybe it was Marquis Slay, but uh, Claiborne I think was largely overrated where people think he's a lockdown number one. I think he's more of a solid role player, you know, number two type of guy. 
Awesome Safarian Jenkins is also a guy who I think Jets fans, just because we've seen guys like Jeff Cumberland and Kellen Davis over the last couple of years, ASJ, who in my opinion is a decent tight end. People were kind of hyping him up to say that, you know, if he had a good quarterback, he could, you know, be a pro ball type of tight end, which I don't agree with. I think he's just average, uh, not a great blocker in any aspect of, of his game. And he's an okay wide receiver um, or catching the ball, I should say, where, you know, look at that. Tampa Bay game, I believe it was, where he dropped those two touchdowns and, you know, argue with the NFL rules all you want, but that one where he, the ball kind of slipped out of his hands in the, um, when he was, you know, falling to the ground versus Tampa Bay, it wasn't a catch by the NFL rule book. So, also, Safarian Jenkins, uh, James Carpenter is another guy who comes to mind where he's largely overrated, where people are kind, kind of bringing their past opinions of him and what they saw in the first two years of him as a Jet and are carrying into this year, but this year, uh, he was ranked, and I don't really rely on pro football focus a lot, but he was their number, I believe, 62 guard this year, and he was terrible this year. There was very few plays a game um, where he was impressive. So he was really, really bad this year. I think Winters also was, was really bad, and obviously the news came out that he had a total abdominal, but still, even before the contract, I, I think he was largely overrated by Jets fans, where I think he's a average at best to below average guard, but the, the Jets paid him. Uh, pretty, you know, pretty uh, big chunk of change. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more with you, particularly on two guys, Claiborne and Safarian Jenkins. And Safarian Jenkins is—it's a challenging guy to criticize, right? Because he has a great story and he has improved compared to what we saw last year. And I think he had a couple somewhat big games early in the season, but the reality is that. He is uh, a decent blocker and good in the short-range passing game, but not someone who showed he could really stretch the seam. I do think some of the quarterback play held him back, but Neil Sterling in one game had more receiving yards in a single game than Safarian Jenkins did in any game this entire season. And uh, the production from him really fell off in the second half of the year. I actually saw Damian Woody tweet that it really looked like he put some weight back on and was struggling to get off the line. So I do think the Jets will find a way to bring him back, but I don't think he's the kind of tight end you really need to break, break the bank for it. And agree on Claiborne, who was showing some very good flashes early in the year. Flashes, not quite as consistent plays. I think some people were giving him credit for. But really, after that Cleveland game, was a target very frequently for opposing offenses. And maybe it had to do with him getting banged up. Maybe, uh, I don't know. But he was definitely not the same player in the second half of the year. And I just wonder, how much money could you invest in a guy who has such a history uh, of injury concerns that he does? Uh, I just think it's you look at what should be a pretty talented cornerback market. I just don't know the incentive uh, to pay him that, that much money or anything more than guaranteed money for a single year. So when you look at outside of the obvious, we know the team needs to fix quarterback. What is, what do you think are the most critical areas where this team needs to make an addition, whether through free agency or the draft? Oh, well, me and you both agree on this, and I've, I've seen you on Twitter say this a lot, but the Jets are you know, really lacking in really key positions um, on any football team, cornerback, outside linebacker, offensive tackle, even center, which I think gets you know, overlooked, but the center is the, is the brain of the offensive line for um, a lot of teams like Nick Mangold helped Mark Sanchez a lot when Mark Sanchez was obviously in his, in his rookie in his second year, and you know, Mark Sanchez wasn't great, but still Nick Mangold called the protections and um, all the things that helped Mark Sanchez be as, I guess, decent as he was his his rookie year, and even his second year. But 
um, yeah, cor- cornerback is no doubt about it a, a need for the Jets and offensive tackle and then outside linebacker is one that I'm really looking to address because as many fans know and as many fans say, the Jets haven't had a true pass rusher since John Abraham and outside linebacker, in, in my opinion at least, is the probably the second most important position on the football field minus quarterback and the Jets do not have a pass rush and you, you kind of topple that with the fact that the Jets don't have corners to cover. They really do not have um, success or, or a formula for success on defense. And you get an outside linebacker, that's also going to help a guy like Leonard Williams truly flash uh, and, and kind of grow where people say that he was, you know, and I, and I hear this a lot where people say that Leonard Williams was double teamed and triple teamed. And yeah, double teamed is, is true, but um, triple team, that never really happens in the NFL. I've never actually seen a, a triple team where three guys are designated to block a guy. Um, but you get an outside linebacker who you have to bring a tight end in, uh, tight end in to help or, you know, a guard to help chip block, whatever it may be, um, opens up Leonard Williams as well, who is probably the second most talented player on the defense, even though he did have a down year um, this year. So, you know, any any one of the key positions the Jets um, are really lacking at, you know, cornerback, outside linebacker, offensive tackle, center, I think are the biggest needs as, as of right now. What were your overall impressions of Jamal Adams' rookie season? He was a guy who was asked to do a lot, asked to line up in a, a lot of different positions for the team, uh, had a couple games that were filled with a handful of splash plays from him where he would you know, shoot a gap and make a big tackle for you know, a one-yard gain or no gain, or he'd, or he'd rove over the top and uh, you know, knock a pass away. He had a couple sacks early in the season and then didn't really get to the quarterback much in the back half of the year. The Jets asked a lot out of him uh, for a rookie, I would say, just considering how many different places he lined up. But there definitely were some concerns, I think, in coverage, and he was beat by some of the best guys in the league uh, at the tight end position. But some inconsistencies with coverage, a handful of missed tackles. But I think overall showed a good amount of potential. What, what do you think the ceiling is for him, and what did you think of his rookie year overall? When I just drafted him and I watched some of his tape at LSU or, you know, the, the tape that I could actually find, I thought he was going to be a pro ball type of, of player, uh, maybe in his first year, but definitely by his second year. And I still do think that, but I was, I, I'm going to say, and, and Jets fans are going to hate me for saying this, but I was slightly disappointed with his, with his rookie year. While I do think it was good, I thought it was going to be a little bit better. Um, but for the reason that you said that he was playing, you know, edge and he was blitzing through the A gap, B gap off off the edge. He was playing, you know, uh, deep third safety or, you know, deep half the field in, in cover two or, you know, matching up on tight ends. But he did have some problems where he would flash some plays and have some good games. But then you saw him uh, be too aggressive in, in coverage, like versus Travis Kelsey, where he bit, uh, I believe it was a sluggo and he, and he bit on the out cut. Um, and then Travis Kelsey just, you know, uh, cut straight up the field vertically and, and got right past them. Uh, there was a couple times this year where he got beaten coverage where the quarterback didn't find the receiver or the tight end that he was responsible for. So he definitely had some problems with that. He also has some problems in coverage in terms of uh, play action where he would bite up on play action and a wide receiver, whoever it was, would get behind him in his zone. And obviously as a safety, especially when you play deep, your responsibility um, is to let nobody beat you deep. And there was multiple times where people beat him deep. And then even in the run game where, yeah, there was some plays where it was really damn impressive. But then there's other times where uh, he ankle tackled and people got an extra two, three yards a lot of times where he, he needs to stop ankle tackling because a lot of these running backs in the NFL, they're going to truck you over. They're going to hurdle you. 
And there's also times in the run game where he would be too aggressive, where I believe it was versus the Saints, they ran a screen and he tried to undercut the block of a, I believe it was the right, uh, the right tackle who came out on the screen um, instead of being a little bit more conservative where he tried to go, you know, where he should have tried to go over top of the block um, and contain the running back, but he obviously didn't do that. And it went up for a huge game. I believe that was to, uh, to Melvin, or not Melvin Ingram, um, maybe it was Kamara. Uh, but regardless, he, he, he played very, very well at times, but like I said, just a little bit disappointed, over-aggressive, and in coverage, I think he had more lapses than I expected when the, when the Jets first drafted him. Yeah, I think it's a fair evaluation, and it's very hard to, again, like you said, it's never a popular thing to offer any criticism of probably the most popular player on the team at the moment. But I think, look, the book on Adams was that he was a generational talent at safety and was worth the sixth pick in the draft, despite despite playing a position that is not generally considered one of the most p- important positions on the sport in the sport. So I think the potential was there. I think it's going to be key. Can he take a big step forward in year two and be a guy who credibly deserves, you know, to be in that pro bowl or maybe even all pro discussion. I think the Jets have to be hoping that he takes that step forward and is, you know, very clearly the best or one of the best players on their defense and a, and a rising star at that position overall the sport because when you spend the sixth pick on the in the draft on somebody, you're not hoping you just get, you know, a good to very good starter, you're hoping you get, you know, an all-pro caliber player, uh, particularly with some of the reports coming out on Adams when he was coming out of LSU. If you could have it your way, who would be one person or two, one to two people the Jets would add in free agency, and then how how would that impact how would you you would use the sixth overall pick in the draft? Uh, yeah, I, I thought about this a lot. Obviously, with the Jets offseason starting mostly in you know November, um, for a lot of Jets fans, we start looking into free agency in the draft, and obviously a lot of people are yet to either get re-signed or tagged or whatever it may be. Um, but I think Kirk Cousins is, is my number one guy and I've debated a lot of people on this and I've put a lot of thought into it, but when you have a guy who I went through all my quarterbacks and, you know, rank them, I have Kirk Cousins probably somewhere in that 10 to 13 range. Um, right now when I was only 29 years old, uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to sign him because you look at the draft there's so many variables to the draft, you know, do the Jets have the right coaches. They have the right offensive coordinator. Who obviously, we don't even know who the offensive coordinator is. Uh, the quarterbacks coach. Do we have the right, um, you know, franchise and and things around the quarterback to develop him correctly? We don't know that. Um, when you have a guy in Kirk Cousins who is so kind of he's set where you know you're got, you're getting a top fifteen at minimum play from a guy like that, uh, a young guy who's going to be here for another six to seven years. If the Jets obviously sign him to that long of a contract. I would definitely sign Kirk Cousins. And then another guy who I would probably look at, It's and I've heard a lot about the two uh, full three defensive ends, Demarcus Lawrence and Ezekiel Ansah, but my problem with those guys is they're both obviously in a four three defense. One's, Demarcus Lawrence is 265 and Ansah is 275. And when you're looking at really successful guys who are you know anywhere from five to nine packs in, in the NFL um, in a three four, or even in a 4-3, obviously it's not, okay, you're in a 4-3, you're going to be a five-pick every time. Obviously you can split a guy out wide, um, like Khalil Mack in, in Oakland to a, to a 7 or a 9. But um, when you see you know, speed rushes off the edge in a 3-4, in a guys like you know, Khalil Mack or a guy like Von Miller, they're usually like 250. 
So I'm not sure if Demarcus Lawrence or Ezekiel Armstrong could really succeed in a 3-4 defense. So I'm, I'm not too sure about those guys. So I think, like I said, with the Kirk Cousins um, pick, I'm going to probably draft Bradley Chubb from NC State at number six. If, I, you know, if everything checks out medically and you know he doesn't fail a drug test or some of these stupid things that college players do um, coming into the NFL draft. But for my second guy in free agency, I'll probably look at a, at a cornerback. Uh, a Kyle Fuller from the Bears, a, a Malcolm Butler, a Tremaine Johnson, because uh, I think the Jets are really, really thin at cornerback. And then obviously my perfect scenario, like I said, you're going to be getting um, Bradley Chubb in, in the draft. So, Yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how who they target sort of on that first day of free agency and then how that dictates their draft strategy. I do expect them to be all in on Cousins. It just seems... Like, like a logical move for a general manager and a head coach who are heading into their fourth year without making a playoff appearance yet. We know the Jets were interested in Cousins, potentially trading for him a few years back. Weren't able to pull it off, so I think the Jets will make a push to sign him. Whether they could pull that off with the market that will be out there for him will remain to be seen, and if they don't pull it off, they better be ready to be aggressive in the draft considering they're behind three quarterback needy teams unless the Giants delude themselves into thinking that they should keep going forward with Eli Manning uh, at his current age. All right, Joe, I want to thank you uh, for taking the time for joining us. Everybody, make sure to follow Joe on Twitter at JoeRB31, does phenomenal Twitter work, also is a host of Jet Nation Radio, so make sure to give them a follow as well. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll talk to you again before the season. Yeah, I, I really, really appreciate you guys having me on. And anytime you want me to jump on and talk some Jets football, I'm definitely more than happy to. Absolutely. Thank you, man. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week.